Raj, are you are, are you drunk? Are you feeling drunk like me? What do you do after after a game like this? After an event like this? As a human being that is dead inside, I have never felt more alive, Pablo Torre. <laughs> fleetingly, fleetingly alive. Roger Bennett is the co-founder of the Men in Blazers Media Network and the author of the World Cup book out now called Gods of Soccer. But my God, what what did we just witness? What did we just witness? The irony of ironies is a World Cup in which beer was banned. That's right. Only goes only goes and produces the drunkest World Cup final of all time. <laughs> So if you aren't among the billions of people who watched this World Cup final, you should know right up top here that Argentina needed penalty kicks to beat France in as intoxicating an experience as you will ever have in any sport, in any country, in any lifetime. Which might be one reason that Qatar spent a record $220 billion to host this tournament in the first place. Because for all of their disturbing moral compromises, all of which we have investigated on this show over multiple episodes, it is also now time to examine the transcendence of Leo Messi and Kylian Mbappe and Andres Cantor and the sport itself. So today... We ask our friend Roger Bennett to relive the game of our lives as only he can. And then Alex Smith returns to make us a lot smarter about the other kind of high-stakes football that normally does consume our brains. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, December 19th. This is ESPN Daily. I summoned you here because there is no one on this planet I'd rather talk to when hyperbole feels impossible, right? Because it is the drunkest (laughs) World Cup final game thing we've ever seen. Also, just the best. You watch this game. You know this sport. You live it. And you have a historical appreciation for everything, the grand sweep of all of it. Was this the best thing you've seen? Where are you on that? We watched this game live on Twitch with 400,000 fellow Americans. And I mean, we essentially watched 120 minutes of football in which Andres Cantor's lungs on Telemundo yes. ran six ultra marathons the and then somehow lived to tell the tale after penalties. I don't know if you've read Homer's Odyssey, Mm. um, studied Homer's Odyssey. This felt like as close in our lifetime as we will ever come to watching Odysseus 
make it to the end. He's reached the end of his hero's journey. Prosperity is restored to Ithaca. Odysseus is home at last. Instead of Odysseus, read Ugh. Lionel Messi, yes. this tiny little joyful Ewok for his <laughs> fifth time. Did we not just see Argentinian Sisyphus roll a rock to the top of the mountain and howl in glory with the world watching? And it was magnificent. Yes, no, this was the, <laughs> this was an epic poem. Absolutely. This was Odysseus, Leo Messi. It was him defeating ghosts, defeating the ghost of Diego Maradona. It was him completing his final challenge to, to keep it Homeric for a second. I mean, Raj, I am at a loss for words when it comes to just describing how much I cared about a game in which I had none of the investment that Argentina had in it. But my God, it was fun. I am not Argentinian. Don't know if you know that about me. But I sobbed at the end of the game. I sobbed with human relief for this gentleman because it wasn't just the game. And it wasn't just the, the parallel to Diego Maradona, the previous tiny great who had lifted, for him, a deeply mediocre Argentina onto his shoulders and delivered glory before the world. And as the Argentinians like to sing during games, is now looking down in heaven at Lionel. That's some pressure. It was also the context. This was Lionel Messi, both fighting France, a defending champion, and the great goat debate. This was Messi, <laughs> Mbappe. This was football romanticism against football pragmatism of France. This was the desire for World Cup glory against the desire to defend that World Cup title. This was De Niro versus Pacino in that restaurant scene, in heat, played in cleats. It was a Rolling Stones against the Beatles. It was whatever you want. <laughs> But watching these two men in a collective game, Messi and Mbappe, just tie off the race for the tournament's top scorer, the Golden Boot, deliriously matching each other, it was remarkable. And it wasn't just football and it wasn't just glory. Argentina is currently in an economic implosion. Mm. Their political system is mired in corruption. Yes. There is a human darkness, a heavy-heartedness is swept across the nation. And so this glimmer of hope that could be delivered and we've seen already just the deliriousness on the streets of Buenos Aires I mean I don't know it was it was magnificent magnificent humanly also to see this tiny little man who doesn't say a lot Messi never says a lot his handlers have made him almost say nothing and in this one the handlers were stripped away the commercial sheen there was no potato chips in hand as he drank Pepsi and skipped down a, a joyfully technicolor road this was at times, spiky messy. This was sometimes raw, angry messy. This was sometimes shit-housing messy, unvarnished messy. This was what we watched ultimately. Um, it was like watching Nirvana play unplugged. It was still Kurt Cobain. It was still Lionel Messi. He was just stripped down to his essence in an incredible choice of sweater, um, playing acoustically, dynamically, transcendently. And it, I can't think of a film I've watched I love music. I can't think of a song I've heard. I can't think of a play I've seen. I hate going to the theatre. I, I can't think of any of those things that I have seen that has made me experience every single human emotion, Pablo, in the way what we just watched this afternoon did together. No, to visualize the rhythm of this game, it, it did look part EKG machine, part uh, Argentine stock chart, part wooden roller coaster, where... All of the rattling, all the back and forth made it such that you were not even sure you'd make it safely to the end. 
really. And the big headline of the first half, let's recall, was what is wrong with France, right? Because they had benched one of their best players by halftime. They had benched another soon after. And then Kylian Mbappé, who would ultimately score all three French goals, scores the first two of them in two minutes, in minutes 80 and 81. And I still do not totally understand how any of that happened. I mean, to understand those goals, you need to understand what happened in that first half. Just sheer, utter Argentinian domination. That second goal they scored, one of our fans on the Twitch called it less a goal, less a collection of passes, more a constellation being placed in the heavens in real time. And it was capped off by Di Maria, that Medigliani yes. of a painting come alive as a world-class football player. This is the gent who's played with Lionel Messi for 14 years. He's like Buenazari's Scotty Pippen to Messi's tiny, tiny Michael Jordan. And he scored in this moment. And he sobbed on the field after scoring. And it was the cry of a man who realized the finishing line was in sight, that they had won the gold that they had dreamt about with the world watching. The relief, the joy, all that pressure rolled off Lionel Messi's shoulders in waves. Lionel Messi, who has dominated the club game, the greatest player of his generation, I, the greatest player I've seen play with my own eyes. But in Argentina where he had never delivered this glory that they care about. They called him El Catalan. Yeah, the Spaniard. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't believe that he cared about Argentina. He'd left too early. He didn't care about their team like he did play for Barcelona. And he even retired from Argentinian national duty briefly, but right. the pressure was too much. The anger was too much. I hate this, he said. Uh, but he came back and they went again. Um, and we saw the French defending champions rocked, absolutely overwhelmed. Two substitutes. First time a team has made two substitutes before halftime in a World Cup final ever. Zero touches in the penalty area. Pablo, you had, you touched the ball as many times in the, uh, <laughs> in the penalty area as France did in that first half. And what do we see in the second half with Mbappe, a man who I think I jokingly called finished on the Twitch? Well, it was it was it was the question of where the hell is the guy who is supposed to be also incidentally in the pantheon of the greatest soccer players of all time? Where did he go? A 23 year old who is a magnificent story in his own regard, raised for greatness in a low income suburb of Paris by his immigrant parents from Bondi, the boy from Bondi, a black face of French national glory at a time when the far right in France is pulling terrifying numbers in national elections. It's a very hard thing to be yes. Mbappe when you saw everybody loves you, but he's talked about when you make a mistake, oh my God, you are the scapegoat. And he had failed in that first half, but then delivered two goals in one minute, 33 seconds, the first a penalty. The second, an equalizer, which was played through and smashed the ball home. My God, it was beautiful. Like a <laughs> French Undertaker meme, just snapping to life. And I thought to myself, my God, if only if only France had a word for renaissance. Um, and I was like, he ran off, he screamed, call an ambulance, <laughs> but not for me. Appelez-vous an ambulance, mais non pas moi. And we're all like, oh my God, was Messi just Spanish for Matt Ryan after all this? <laughs> and you realize, you look to the Argentinians, these, these guys 
had tasted the Malbec of victory. They had glimpsed the stakes that would flow down their gullets. Oh. And suddenly, instead, they were looking death in the eye. And what was amazing, I want to give credit to both teams, is that in this moment, they kept charging forward like an NBA game. There was no holding back. End-to-end, shattered legs, shattered nerves, shattered minds. Both teams had touched the sky. Both teams had seen their wax wings melt uh, as they approached the sun, plummeted to earth. And God, it was was magnificent. At some point, at some point, we should say the name of Emmy Martinez, right? Because we're talking about the balls on him. And I mean that literally, like the balls on him (laughs) dangling and the balls that he stopped with his body, the ball that he saved. I think it was Kolomwani, right? At the end to send this to penalties, 123rd minute. He Jean-Claude Van Damme splits and his left foot. Oh my God. Yeah, thank you for bringing that. (laughs) Thank you for bringing that. Van Damme wishes. Yes. Van Damme could That's never. Right. It's Van Damme's stuntman that would have done that work. But it was the real Emmy Martinez, Pabs. It was the real Emmy Martinez. A goalkeeper who you know, moved to England when he was still a kid. That's a hard thing to do, that culture shock. And goalkeepers, the cliche is always a little crazy. And that's not fair. They're often the most sensitive, articulate, emotionally wonderful human beings on the field. But no, Emmy Martinez is that stereotypical goalkeeper. He is crazy. He flirts with danger. He loves fire. We've always joked that he's, you know, penalty shootouts are insane. They are only loosely connected to the 120 minutes that comes before them. That's a collective team game. Right. Suddenly that game is reduced to a game of individuals. It, the deer hunter scene, the Russian roulette, that's what we're watching. <laughs> but Emmy Martinez, he loves them. He thrives. There's a uh, a philosophy in soccer of which he is the master shithousery. And Emmy Martinez has a black belt in shithousery. Argentinian football itself is remarkable. It has it has a tradition of beauty, the gambetta, the slaloming run, mm. football art, a football as art. But it also has welded onto it a tradition of football brute, uh, brutal football, the dark arts, uh, cra- you know, just the, the slight... Um, slight cheating, the irritation, the pest, um, the violencia, the the hand, the hand of God, the hand of God, the hand of God of Maradona. And to add to that now, Emmy Martinez, the face of God mm. with which he stopped Kingsley Coman. That was an amazing moment. And the audience for that moment, it was probably even bigger than anyone anticipated, I think, because it was all the billions of people already watching, tuned in around the world. Plus everyone who was waiting to watch our own previously scheduled football Sunday here in America. America, by the way, a country which just happens to be hosting the next Men's World Cup four years from now alongside Canada and Mexico. Yeah, what did we watch? What did we all just experience? This is the joy of the World Cup, particularly after the pandemic. Just the sense of you are experiencing emotions of wonder with the entire world. The entire world, you are making memories, that sense of ecstasy, that sense of just transcendent chaos and wonder. But it did delight me in my deeply American way, Pablo, because the game had gone into overtime, it had preempted Fox's NFL coverage. And uh, millions of Americans (laughs) were tuning in that they had to watch this spectacle. 
Terry Bradshaw was watching two football teams just bring out the hammers, just absolutely try and smite in a biblical fashion their opponents. And, you know, there was more crown placing in this game than in the entire seasons of Game of Thrones. And I, I just love how many NFL fans, I hope, I hope felt the humanity. Messianic, messy, some are born great, some achieve greatness, some have greatness thrust upon them, and others, others, Pablo, would just named Lionel Andres Messi, and it's it's magnificent. Roger Bennett, the bard of what may or may not be America's newest favorite sport. Terry Bradshaw's, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Thanks, Pablo, you gorgeous plate courage. After the break, the other football. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So when it comes to the, we're going to call it the greatest comeback in NFL history, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. (laughs) You're the Indianapolis Colts greatest. I don't think would be the adjective, the superlative we would use there, but there are so many protagonists, Alex, in this 39 to 36. Yeah. Thriller (laughs) that we got from the Vikings and the Colts. And maybe it's Jeff Saturday, our former colleague who, is the guy responsible, uh, bottom line, for this thing. But I want to ask you actually about Matt Ryan. And yes, all due respect to Kirk Cousins and uh, and Kevin O'Connell, your boy, the coach of the Vikings. Yep. But Matt Ryan now wears this, right? He is the guy, the quarterback. He is the guy who has blown, we use this verb too, he has blown the two biggest leads in both Super Bowl and just general NFL history now, Alex. 28 to 3 and then 33 to 0. How do you think this all feels? How should it be labeled, actually, in your view? <laughs> well, I mean, it's easy how it feels. It sucks. I mean, that Super Bowl one will sting forever. If you win that game, you find a way to win that game, any number of plays on all three phases, like you go down in history. And to, to just miss it like that is going to sting forever. And then this one, you know, watching this, it's been a you know a tumultuous year for the Colts and Matt Ryan benched and brought back and interim coach and Jeff Saturday and and then just to be, I mean the first half they, I mean dude they looked great like this is what we thought the Colts were going to look like at the beginning of the year I mean they like all three phases defense looked awesome special teams they got a score got a block pump for a touchdown offense looked great I mean they were running the ball physically Matt Ryan looked great in the play action yes and they were like chunking the the. The Vikings and I mean thirty-three to zero. Like, <laughs> the texts, the texts in my phone, uh, which are now just the coldest takes yeah. imaginable about how Jeff's doing it. He's I doing know. it. I literally felt bad 
at the start of the third quarter for Nate Burleson, who was calling the game. Cause I'm like, God, this has got to suck. You know, he doesn't call a lot of games, but it's just like Saturday special. And I love Nate Burleson. And he's like <laughs> calling this game. And I'm like, God, you got the 33 to zero ball game. Like good luck the rest of the half. Like here, I don't know what you're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Fill in time. And I mean, holy smokes. Like I honestly, to be fair to the Colts, certainly we can be critical in the second half. And there were some, you know, plays, obviously the, the fumble, that happened, the potentially not kicking the field goal at the end of uh, regulation. But the the Vikings also deserve a lot of credit. Like, I I, I really do. They, they, they came out firing. Obviously, they had nothing to lose. But they have a lot of firepower. Sure. You know, you throw, you throw K.J. Osborne in on this, who had, a, like, a, a bit of a breakout day. Uh, Justin Jefferson, obviously, is maybe the best receiver, offensive weapon in football right now. Um, Dalvin Cook when in space is one of the best backs in space. Like they, they, they had it going and uh, they, they would have been tough to, to stop for anybody in that second half on that note. Like we kind of saw both sides of the Minnesota Vikings that we've seen like all year, like at times they've looked absolutely amazing. And one of the best teams in football, like their record says, and also they've, they've been left wanting. They've been blown out by Dallas. I think they, uh, they might even have a negative point differential actually prior to this weekend, but I mean, as bad as it was in that first half to be 33 down 33 zero to have pulled the greatest comeback in history to pull that off uh, here in December, moving forward when they were kind of just idling along. Uh, I really think this could be something that, that, that um, gets them going. But I, again, to go back to the original question to be Matt Ryan and the Colts on, on, on the other side of this going, like you just ran into the perfect storm in right. the second half there. Right. But but the, just the last thing on this, from the quarterback's perspective, I am just curious, the idea that you wear the loss, that, look, Matt Ryan didn't play defense, but he also only scored three points, his offense did, in the second half. And so are you just resigned to the idea that, like, yeah, I, you know, wins and losses, it turns out, are not a quarterback's that, except de facto they basically are. <laughs> except when you win, Pablo. No, like, that's the <laughs> truth. Like, it's the, you know... The good, you got to take the good and the bad. Like you win a bunch of ball games, you win close games. You you had you know that that you get a bunch of credit for that stuff as a quarterback and a head coach. Um, and on the flip side, tough losses like this fall on your shoulders. And you said it like Matt Ryan wasn't out there playing defense. You know, giving up all those points in the second half, all those yards, all those big plays. And and again, to be fair, like I thought the Colts actually they kind of kept their foot on the gas. Like they they didn't play terribly in the second half. Like they. Uh, they still came out throwing and moving the ball at times. <laughs> this is this is turning into a very sad motivational speech. I know it is, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, that's that's the life. And and it's you know, to go back to it, it's it's the same thing in the Super Bowl, right? Like that, that wasn't all on Matt Ryan's shoulders, but uh, again, uh, he's he's going to be wearing both of those for for a while. So we turn to Dolphins at Bills because this was the main course on Saturday. This was the game that. You know, it was hyped and it exceeded it. And again, quarterbacks seem to be the center of this of this story. But I want to begin with the elements. I mean, and I speak of the elements both in terms of the weather and in terms of the fans who seemed at one point to just become one. I don't know if you feel this way having played in Buffalo, but like it just felt like everybody was everything was snowing upon the Dolphins at one point. And this is what I would choose in Madden, Alex. I don't have to play in any of this shit. So I'm like, give me this. Give me this degree of powder. Give me the footprints. Give me the signs that say freeze the fish. 
Um, how much of this was fun for you having actually been in these conditions before? No, it's, it's, a, it's great to watch on TV. I mean, it's like, it's, it's pretty. It's like December, the snow's falling in the fourth quarter. We got a good ball game. Like, I'm sitting on the couch, warm and toasty. Like, no, it's, it's amazing. Uh, this game was awesome. It was incredibly hyped up. Uh, but yeah, to go back to it, like, I mean, I played 16 years in the NFL. I feel like I've been to Orchard Park, uh, New York, a lot over my career. I don't think I've ever seen the sunshine there. Like, I'm not sure it does. <laughs> I'm, I'd be throwing snowballs, too, if I never saw the sun. You know, like, that might be something I would do if I were a fan of the Bills. It's just another day, another day in Buffalo, New York. Like, for as hyped up as the weather was, too, and how it was going to impact this game, uh, it's funny how little it actually did impact the game. Um, even when it opened up in the fourth, I thought both these offenses operated really, really well. Both yeah. quarterbacks played great. It was fireworks back and forth uh, between these teams. And it, it, you know, obviously ultimately came down to who had the ball last, which was the Bills, and ended up winning. But I, I'm not sure I walked away from this game feeling any less confident about the Dolphins and what they can do. To have gone up there in in tough weather when no one thought they had a chance, here they are, the, you know, the fair weather boys from, from South Florida, and they went up there and hung toe-to-toe with the Bills. And if it wasn't, wasn't for a, a play here or there, I, I think they very easily walk away with the W. Yes, I loved hearing Let It Snow being sung by these fans who were being threatened with penalty flags if they threw more of the snowballs and built any more of the snowmen that I saw on the broadcast. But you mentioned what Josh Allen was doing, some of the stuff that he did. And I feel like we got to just hone in on that one play, the play in which he goes. How would you describe this to someone who has not seen this video? But it's the two-point conversion that he needs to make to tie the game. And just the physics of this continue. I, we marvel a lot at how things should not happen in this sport, but often do. This is up there, though, what Josh Allen successfully pulled off. Yeah, and he, I mean, he does it a lot. And, and the thing I love about the Bills and what they do with Josh Allen, it, I mean, he's this incredible athlete. They could run him even more. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm, I love that they actually don't, that, that they kind of wait for big situations late in games, tough games, and then even more so here late in the year. Like, I think as we see them, as we see the weeks go on, especially as they go into the playoffs, like Josh Allen's number is going to get called more and more, and he's that mm -hmm. special of a player and an athlete with the ball in his hands. But they need they need the two-point conversion here to tie the ball game. And here you are. You got the biggest, baddest quarterback in the NFL. And they put him in the shotgun, and they call his number on a little just straight QB zone left. And it's just him back there. And they actually don't get great blocking. The Dolphins kind of stonewall it up front. And Josh Allen, all 240, you know, five pounds of him, decides to go airborne. Josh Allen takes a shotgun snap, going to keep it and run with it, dives over the pile, trying to dive into the end zone, no signal yet. And single-handedly, I somehow gets the ball to the goal line while obviously getting hit by Dolphins uh, linebackers. Ball comes out, it's a frenzy, gets kicked around, you know, 20 yards the other way. There's yep. no call by the refs. Obviously, fortunately enough, all these these plays are reviewed at this point, and and sure enough, he breaks the plane by I, I, a I mean, millimeter, by, I mean, yeah, maybe I, literally, that. literally, and it's it's game changing play ties this game up, and and uh, to to see Josh Josh Allen go full Superman in every sense over the pile in the snow, 
uh, and to pull this out. And it just kind of embodies and, and symbolizes what he is and what he is, uh, his capabilities and abilities, uh, so to speak, and uh, what he means to this team. And to pull that off, coming from behind in the snow, huge play to tie it up. And then obviously they go on uh, to, to get the game-winning field goal later. But they did it in this. They needed him. They, 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 needed, they needed those types of plays. And you saw it in the fourth quarter, too. He had a couple other huge runs. Uh, where they call they called his number and like that call the call they make though the call they continue to make because he's on it it it, it, it seems like the solution to their running game right which has been a problem it's like actually oh, we're just going to unleash Josh it's time it's time to take him out of the garage and just let him that's right run over people that's right and and well like think about it. you're the play caller like if you're Ken Dorsey sitting up there and you got the play sheet in front of you there's not a lot of plays better than this guy like time and time again, when they call his number, he delivers, right? So like, why wouldn't you keep calling it? And it, it, when he's playing like that, like he's, he is virtually unstoppable. They're so hard to defend because of their skill positions outside that they have, his ability to throw the ball. Like it started, I mean, it was coming down in the fourth quarter. It didn't even phase him, right? I mean, the, no. the ball is still jumping off his hand. He's still whipping it around effortlessly. Can you effortlessly. explain how hard it is normally? It, yeah, like, I mean... Well, you can see even like Tua, who's more of a mortal human, <laughs> like when it started dumping snow, like the, it, the ball only just gets hard, right? Like there's snow everywhere. The center's spinning the ball around in ice. He's snapping it back. Like the, it's freezing cold. So like every little thing just gets hard. The, the ball's an ice cube. And you could even see his Tua's thrown in. He still did a great job, but there's just a little more guide on the ball. Like you just kind of have yes. to slow your you motion down a little bit. The exertion. You can see yeah. the striving when it's Tua. But but Josh, it seemed like he was supercharged by the elements, which is a terrifying concept. And you know, if there's a place where if you're gonna prep to go play in Buffalo, New York, like I couldn't think of a better place to go to college than Laramie, Wyoming to get you ready. Because here's another place where the sun doesn't shine, Pablo. Like, I mean, you're well over a mile high and it is always windy and it's always cold. Like, I don't even know if he knows what it's like to play in good weather. The, the plays he made in the fourth quarter in that final drive sealed the game. So uh, I, I think kind of to be continued for both those teams. I think both these teams are going to be, you know, obviously a Bills are in, and and I, I think the Dolphins will be in as well, and we'll still make a lot of noise given their firepower. But uh, I think this will be a fun rivalry to come uh, for years to come. That is. All right, coming up, I have a feeling that Alex Smith is about to get mad. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, 
perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Alex, this is the part of the show where I like to uh, talk about how infuriated uh, some of these coaches were on Sunday. And we'll start with your Washington Commanders losing 20-12 to to the New York Giants. And so there are massive playoff implications in this game, but there are also just um, a lot of people who are mad right now at the referees, man. And it had to do with one penalty flag that was thrown and then one that wasn't. So walk us through how you perceived all of this and what really happened here as you saw it. Yeah, I mean, first off, we also have to, I think, not only huge playoff implications, both these teams played three weeks ago or two weeks ago, excuse me, which is incredibly unique, and they just tied. It's also the fourth longest rivalry in the history of the NFL. These two teams do not like each other. No. And here we are. We get down to the end, and and it looks like we're headed to another overtime game because uh, the commanders are on the one-yard line, and the commanders cram it in and get called for a legal formation penalty, Pablo. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of these calls that are bang-bang, and things happen fast, and it's easy with, with slow-motion replays to break things down. But an alignment, a pre-snap alignment is not a bang-bang play. And when Terry McLaurin points multiple times to the ref, confirming that he wants to be on the line of scrimmage, he's inching up, telling you that he's intending to be on the line of scrimmage, and that you call him because he's maybe a half a foot back from where you want him to be as a line judge, I, I, it, it completely disregards the intent of the rule. I mean, Terry clearly intended to be on the line of scrimmage. He let you know in multiple ways. And to call him in that scenario for that on a touchdown, potentially game-tying touchdown. Is that a communications problem? Like, what, uh, what, what, what's it supposed to be like when you're sort of gesturing back and forth being like, hey, I'm good, right? And they're yes. like... I That's guess what it is. you aren't. Pablo, Pablo, the receivers and these line judges are on like first name basis because <laughs> they talk to each other the entire game. Like the entire game, he's doing that. And when you want to let the ref know that you're off the ball, you hold your arm back. It's a clear signal. So you'll see receivers do it all the time. If the listeners could see me right now, I'm waving my arm behind my back <laughs> because they want to let the, the, the line judge know that their intent is to be off on a scrimmage. And just the same, when they intend to be on the line of scrimmage, they point at him to get confirmation that I'm on the line of scrimmage. And there's a lot of nonverbal communication here. And to, to throw a flag again in this situation, and there hasn't been a warning, there hasn't been a discussion, I, I just... I know I'm biased. Terry's your guy. Yes, this is this is your favorite your favorite receiver. I want the listener to fully understand how dismayed visually <laughs> you are presenting right now. But it's also interesting to me because the thing that's even maybe a bigger headline to casual fans right now is the fact that there wasn't 
a pass interference flag thrown on the next play in the end zone because there was a leaving no room for the Holy Ghost <laughs> kind of draping yes. of, of the DB onto uh, your commanders again. And so where does that rank relative to what you just expressed in terms of stuff you're mad at? It was rough. I mean, I, and again, I think the, a lot of these are bang, bang plays and it's end of the game. And I love, I actually love the idea of letting these guys complain, play and compete. But I mean, when the DB's climbing up Curtis Samuel's back, uh, there was more than, I mean, it was, it was several points of contact prior to the ball arriving. That's just a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow. And if I were uh, Ron Rivera, like I, I, He's got to be incensed, as he should be, along with everybody else in that locker room. Maybe I am biased. It was hard for me to watch. Uh, it's hard <laughs> for me to be on here and and, and to uh, keep my cool because I really do think it was unfair. But, okay, look, we value transparency more than some false objectivity, so we appreciate that. But I will also note that it seems hard to imagine that you or Ron Rivera, for that matter, are as mad as Bill Belichick right now because I want to I end with this play a play that I have never seen before in this fashion. And I'll set the stage for you here to explain what exactly you saw. But it's 24 to 24. It's a tie game. It is Patriots Raiders. And it is the end of the game. It's zeros on the clock. What was the play call here supposed to be? At this point, They'd used all their timeouts. There's three seconds left, and they're not even close to field goal range. Right. We're playing for overtime at this point, and the play call comes in accordingly. Well, here they line up in the shotgun, and they hand a very deliberate draw playoff. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson, breaks out of a tackle at the 50, has the 45, breaks away from another tackle. And he's running towards the sideline, and in traffic, as he's about to get tackled, he pitches this ball back to Jacoby Myers, the receiver. Pitches it backwards, and now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it. And I think he thinks this is the Stanford Cal game. He wheels back and chucks this ball <laughs> all the way back towards, like, the initial line of the scrimmage. Yes. And, you know, on the on the initial TV copy, you're like, well, I, you're, like, wondering, do they have something set up? Like, is this, like, really a gadget play? And there's only two people <laughs> back there. Okay. One of them is Mac Jones, uh-huh. the Patriots quarterback. The other also has the last name Jones, but it's Chandler Jones, the defensive end for the Raiders. To Chandler Jones in midfield, Stafford! Chandler Jones racing towards the end zone. He scores! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! It's a perfect pass. <laughs> right to him. And you quickly realize that this has gone sideways real fast. If, if only it was sideways. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. But here it is. You're like, well, if Mac Jones can just tackle him, you'll, you'll save the day. If Mac Jones can just tackle Chandler Jones. And if anybody, like for people out there, when you stand next to Chandler Jones in person, I mean, this guy, like there's physical specimens in the NFL. And then there's like, there's, there's guys like Chandler Jones. Like, I mean, he is. I mean, he's like 6'6", freakishly long and tall. Like, he's got the longest arms in the NFL, I think, wingspan-wise. He hits Mac Jones with this just stiff arm. And I cannot, I, it's really bad. Like, I can't stop laughing. Like, I can't get Mac, this image of Mac Jones just getting steamrolled 
by Chandler Jones. It's unbelievable what happens to him. He gets, it, it's like, I mean, it's Chandler Jones's right arm basically pushes Mac Jones by the head into the center of the earth and just leaves him there. Poor Mac Jones does this like reverse somersault on the ground, like poor guy, like as Chandler Jones is like running over him. Yeah, full extension, arms up, legs out. On his way to the walk-off which is technically a fumble return for a touchdown, game over, zeros on the clock. And then they pull back and you're like, you know, it took me a second because you're like, well, that it couldn't have been, would, you know, Bill Belichick really have called this gadget play on the lat, like with a tied ball game? Like it's tied, like you play for yeah, overtime. Who's, who's, whose responsibility, whose fault is this becomes the question. The Patriots are renowned. They were one of the best situational football team teams of the last 20 years. Like, they're a reason they have the seven Super Bowls, like, or six, sorry, whatever. It's because of this. And you pull back on the all 22 camera and you quickly realize that, that, that the play call was just a draw and get, get out of Dodge and go play for overtime. And there was a lot of improvisation going on here by Ramondre Stevenson and Jacoby Myers. And the look on Bill's face post-game as he's shaking hands, I mean, I can only imagine what's going on in that locker room post-game. Uh, it couldn't have been pleasant. <laughs> is, this is the question. We, we, we're we on a day of sports superlatives. Greatest comebacks, greatest World Cup final, all of that. What's worse than the way this ended? For, what's, what's worse and also funnier than the way this ended. Because I'm coming up pretty blank on that front. This will go down as one of the worst fumbles, muffs of like the end of a game scenario that you can get. Like this, this is going to go down with the best of them. Uh, when you think about blooper reel plays at the end of a game. No, this one's never, you're never going to, this one's going to be there for a long, long time. <laughs> Yeah, I have. Uh, oh, hey, look, at least uh, Bill Belichick seems like, you know, he's the type of guy who definitely won't hold a grudge about this. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. I'm kind of anxious to wake up in the morning and just check the news feed. They're still in the hunt. This knocked him out. The crazy part is they were in the playoffs, you know, five minutes before that play. Now they're the outs on the outside looking in and... If this comes back to be the play that cost them the playoffs like that, that hurts even worse. And again, will only make this live in infamy even longer. Yeah, yeah, Alex, you've, uh, you know pain in this sport. We've established this on the show, but, uh, but this one, if you're Mac Jones, bad, I, uh, I don't know if anything hurts quite like this. This one cuts a little deeper, Pablo, for sure. <laughs> Alex Smith, thank you for uh, yeah witnessing history with us on ESPN Daily. Thanks, Pablo. Appreciate it as always, man. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>